Good morning, Mosaic, soon to be the Hub City Church family. We're so glad you've decided to join us in worship this morning. If you're new to our church, we exist to make disciples who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey the word of God. If you'd like more information about our vision or want to get connected through community groups, or if you'd like to find an opportunity to serve, you can text the word Mosaic to 97000 and we'll follow up with you in the next few days. As far as announcements, we have a lot going on. Please refer to our spring and workday schedules that are posted on Facebook and Instagram and the Church Center app as they will continue to have the most up-to-date info on what is happening within the life of our church body. And now, as we get ready to enter into corporate worship, if you're concerned about having little ones in service with you, we want you to be at ease. We love kids, and we have a lot of them here. There are coloring sheets in the back of the sanctuary. Our kids' ministry is always available to you. And we have a nursing mother's room with our service streaming live just outside the lobby to the left. Again, we're glad you're here. Let's worship Jesus together. Just in case you have missed it, we are in the midst of a transition. Uh, we are officially changing our name. We are the church formerly known as Mosaic Church, soon to be the Hub City Church. And uh, it's a long story, yet, uh, long story on why, but the simplest explanation is that uh, we don't ever want our name to be a hindrance to anyone coming through our doors to hear the gospel. We know that the name Mosaic has been confusing to some folks historically, and the Hub City Church is not confusing. We are a local expression of Jesus' church for the Hub City. Our vision is staying exactly the same because we're the same church, <laughs> striving to make disciples who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey God's word, all right? We're making some progress on that. It's going really well. Do a lot of administrative changeover things. As Tristan said, if you're giving to our church, uh, you can give to Mosaic Church or the Up City Church. We can take checks as both um, right now, and so you're good on that. A lot of physical aspects around our building, our property, uh, are changing as well. And so that's really cool to, to see that. And uh, we're planning to relaunch, so to speak, on uh, the, the week of Easter. And uh, so just so you know, uh, church merch, as we've been calling it, should be here sometime next week. Your pre-ordered hats and t-shirts, those will be here. If you didn't pre-order um, and you're, going, you're starting to feel a little bit of envy rising up in you towards people who did pre-order, uh, we have ordered extras for you So um, because you're going to see it and want it. So anyway, so it'll be here for you whether you pre-ordered or not next week. And so um, just man, also just a huge, huge continued thanks to all who have been laboring. Uh, both physically to get big projects around the building done, as well as spiritually. Uh, as we shared in our vision meeting this year, uh, and then subsequent to that, and just a couple of services, uh, we do have a vision committee who is serving us, but um, they're not changing our vision. They are fleshing through our values 
and our measures uh, to our vision of building Bible Bay. So they're just kind of giving greater clarity to what building the Bible Bay looks like as it's fleshed out and worked out uh, in our lives. So thank you to everybody who has uh, been here working on the parking lot and the lobby. Um, this is a new stage, by the way. It's really cool. So Dan is really excited about it, but I'm not in their way and everything now. So thanks everybody who did that. Um, yeah, really, really exciting. Um, just really one announcement today, um, and I'll get more in detail on this, but let's talk Easter for just a second. So um, Easter is like the biggest time of the year for us um, because it's all about the resurrection of Jesus, right? Uh, that's what we're all about. And so just so you know, it's, there's going to kind of be a kind of a three-part um, Easter for us, okay? Um, the first part is something that we do every year. Um, it's an outreach in Twin Hills Park. And so what we have done for uh, years is in uh, conjunction with the city of Crestview, um, we serve in order to um, make their Easter egg hunt, the citywide Easter egg hunt, um, as good as we can help to make it. So um, we show up early at about 7.15. We uh, get all the eggs, all the 20,000 eggs, or however many it is that's strewn out on the field there, um, and uh, get all the barriers put up and everything for them. Um, we usually have like 25 to 30 people out there, and so spreading 20,000 eggs takes like 30 minutes. It's not, not hard work at all. It's kind of fun taking the eggs and you know, spraying them across the field, so that's always a highlight. Um, but then really, we set up in the middle of the park, um, because really the way the city does it is they've got an um, egg hunt for the younger kids and an egg hunt for the older kids, and there's a gap in the middle of those two egg hunts by about 30 or 45 minutes. And so um, we set up in the middle uh, with our tents out there. We've got cornhole boards for you know families to play. We do face painting. Um, but really, we're also out there um, to be real. <laughs> we are serving the city, but we're also out there to have gospel conversations uh, with the people that we encounter in our city, to, to love the people that we're encountering in our city, letting them know about the love of Christ for them and about the resurrection of Christ that can be a very eternal hope. And so uh, that will be an opportunity as well to share the gospel with people you get into conversations with there in the park, as well as invite them to join us for our Easter service on Easter Sunday. Okay, so um, soon we'll have communication going out uh, on social media and the app and all that so that you can sign up to serve at that event. We'd love you to join us for that. Uh, like I said, we do it every year. And so um, we kind of have it down to a science. So just jump in and we'll just get in with it. Okay. The second part is uh, we're going to have a Good Friday night of worship on April 7th, okay, on Friday, right, because it's Good Friday, night of worship, um, and so, yeah, that, that service, um, I don't want to misspeak here, but um, last year, it was, it was really focused around uh, the death of Christ, right, so on Good Friday, um, we are with sorrowful joy reflecting on the death of Christ on the cross on our behalf. Okay, so that will be kind of the theme, I believe, of that night, similar to last year. Um, we'll, we'll do it in here. We'll have time of singing. We'll, we'll share a few brief words with you, time of prayer and reflection as well. That'll probably go just about an hour, an hour and 15. Uh, we'll have um, child care for that for the younger kids provided, okay? Um, and then the third part of our Easter is Easter Sunday, okay? That's on April 9th. And uh, it's just the same as we do every Sunday for the most part, okay? Um, it's at 10 a.m., so like, you're welcome to invite your friends. 
okay, we've got invite cards. You can give to your friends or your neighbors or your coworkers. Just like invite someone to church. Um, you can do that. It's a great Sunday to do that. We are going to plan to have a barbecue in the backyard because that is good on Easter Sunday, right? And uh, we're Gentiles, so we can do that. Um, <laughs> we'll some pulled pork, okay? Thank you, Jesus. Um, and so, yeah, uh, you know, all the good stuff and babies and big salad and all that. So, um, Please, yes. Please come. Please invite your friends, invite your family. It's going to be uh, a good time. It always is. We do a little egg hunt for our kids as well on Easter Sunday just for fun, you know, out there. So uh, it's going to be a good time. Hope you'll plan to join us for all three parts of Easter. And again, we will continue to communicate these things out via all of the um, avenues that we have to do so. All right? Okay. Well, with all that out there, that was a mouthful, I know. Uh, let's continue on in our teaching series. Uh, in the book of Proverbs called Get Wisdom. Proverbs is a critical book of the Bible for anyone who desires to live a uh, godly and well-ordered life as uh, it offers a ton of bite-sized sayings that aid us in day-to-day wisdom for Christian living. So to boil it all down, uh, we said that this series is focused on spiritual growth. We are currently in a little um, series within the series, okay, so to speak, for four weeks. We're discussing four of the most common and destructive, deadly, if you will, sins that those who are wise will seek to identify and uproot from their hearts. Last week we discussed pride, and we said that pride is really the foundational sin underneath all other sin, and uh, I'm just going to be real, it is brutal. It's a bit brutal um, walking through all those scriptures. As they say, um, if you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one who yelps is the one who got hit. And I think we all left here yelping last week, myself included. Right? I don't think I was the one throwing the rock. I think it was the Holy Spirit. And so that was a really humbling um, time together last week. And uh, because of a survey on, on the concept of pride from scripture will not leave anyone unscathed. Uh, we all have pride. We all have to deal with our pride continually. So the cold is uh, in this, on this side of eternity, on this side of the kingdom. Uh, it's not to become perfect, but to become aware of our pride, however it might manifest itself, and to progressively strive to put it to death by humbling ourselves before the Lord Jesus. And today, we're going to move on to the next deadly sin on the list, which is the sin of anger. We've got a lot of ground to cover there, so uh, let's pray, and we'll get into it. Father, you are so good. We thank you and praise you for who you are as you have revealed yourself to us, sovereign and power over all creation, perfectly holy and just, and yet merciful and kind, gracious to all sinners to repentance and to reconcile them back to yourself by the gospel of your son Jesus. And so this morning, Lord, again, we come to you both excited and also reverent as we are about to hear from your word on a challenging topic that many of us have struggled with and will continue to struggle with as we strive to conform into the image of Christ. So God, I pray, I pray desperately in the Holy Spirit, don't leave me alone up here. Don't leave me alone in this sermon. These are your divinely inspired words in these passages. So as you do the divine work that only you can do, that I am not able to do, no matter how many words I say, 
Would you mercifully open spiritual eyes? Would you soften hardened hearts? Would you bring all of us who need to lay down our pride or our idolatry or our wrath or our resentment? Lord, we, we know that anger that stems from or manifests itself in these ways in us, it does not produce the righteousness of God. So would you help us, by your grace, to turn and fix our eyes on the example you've given us in Jesus, to spend time in awe of the cross, where your righteous anger over our sin went to God. We love you, Lord. I pray that I would be preached this morning in that love and trust and submission to you with increase this morning for your glory and for our joy. It's in Jesus' name we my prayer. Amen. Okay, well, um, hey, being a dad of four little people, there's a lot of shepherding going on in my house, okay? Don't touch this. Don't jump on that. Don't hit your sister with a little ball bat, all right? But um, in all seriousness, um, it's not just a lot of shepherding physically to keep them alive. It's a lot of heart-level shepherding to hopefully move them closer and closer to the goal of spiritual life in Christ. And so um, in that process, we have a ton of emotions to see and to help our kids sort through. And anger is one of them. And on the face of it, the anger of little kids can be somewhat funny because uh, as they learn to express their anger, it can be somewhat uh, theatrical, okay? Uh, baring their teeth and balling up their fists and traveling, you know, things like that. If you have more than one uh, young kid, you know, uh, on one hand, they're cheaper by the dozen, right? Uh, so to speak. They, they play with one another, they entertain each other. Uh, they also draw out one another's sin, okay? Um, while something like a Three-year-old girl scrunching up her face and comically stomping over to her, her feet to her brother and slapping him across the head uh, for taking the toy that she was playing with, allegedly. Um, on one hand, it's kind of entertaining. Um, on the other hand, right, um, it makes a lot of sense to me now why God makes children small and relatively weak. Um, I think one of the reasons is because they might kill one another from time to time um, out of their inability to control their emotions if they have the size and the strength to do so. Um, parents, can, can I get a... Can someone testify? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, make sure I'm not crazy there. Just a terrible parent. Um, maybe I don't know. Anyway, let's not go there. It often... Uh, it's often precious to, to see kids express, express their emotions. But, but the truth is, helping them learn to process their emotions is a serious business. Okay? Um, if our only response is to laugh it off and to passively let kids be kids, then we will do them a great disservice by allowing them to grow up to be adults who lack self-control and the ability to sort through challenging feelings in a way that is distinctively Christian, okay? Because the feelings and emotions and sin that are clearly present in childhood, uh, they don't go away with age, do they? No, they do not. Um, emotions, feelings, and sin uh, are there to stay, okay? And they only get deeper and more complex with age. But I studied this week, I was in town 
Um, that was definitely the case with something like anger. Anybody in here ever struggle with anger? It's okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I think that by the time we're done today, we might come to realize that anyone who does not think they ever get angry does not fully understand what anger is. The Bible has a lot to say about anger, and from my experience, when the Bible talks a lot about something, it's because it's pretty common. Okay? So, yeah, that said, uh, here's the thing about anger. Anger, it's important that you get this on the front end, anger is unique among the four deadly sins that we will be discussing. We discussed pride last week. Uh, we're going to discuss lust and greed in the coming weeks. Um, but one of these things is not like the others, okay? While pride and lust and greed are all completely sinful, okay? Anger in and of itself is not necessarily a sin. Anger is an emotion. And God made all of our emotions, the whole spectrum of them, for good purposes. It is good to be happy for someone when they have a baby, okay, or they get a well-deserved promotion. It is good to be sad for it when a beloved family member dies or when someone is laid off from their job, okay? In the same way, it's good to experience anger when you witness injustice in the world. And so at a foundational level, uh, anger is a feeling of strong displeasure towards and a desire to eradicate wrongdoing. Okay, that's not in your notes. If you write it down, you can. That's just kind of my definition for anger. It's a feeling of strong displeasure towards and a desire to eradicate wrongdoing. That's anger. And so um, there are times and there are circumstances where the appropriate emotion to experience is anger, right? If someone abuses or mistreats someone who you care about, it's natural to feel angry, right? Um, if someone in a position of power is using that power to the detriment of the people they are supposed to serve, anger is acceptable, right? Um, when we see or find out about injustice and wrongdoing, Anger is the default emotion, and that's not wrong, okay? Um, so Psalm 4 shows us that it's possible to be angry in a way that is right. Psalm 4, verses 4 through 5 says, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Say love. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in in the Lord. So in line with this, a wise friend of mine told me one time that emotions are great gauges, but bad steering wheels. Does that make sense? Emotions are meant to indicate something about what's going on in our hearts, but we should not allow them to direct and drive our lives. And among the emotions, anger tends to be one that will try to aggressively take the reins if we don't keep watch on it. And if that happens, it will cause a great deal of harm to ourselves and to others. Proverbs 29.22 says, uh, A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Here's my paraphrase. Anger, when it is not understood and handled properly, will cause fights 
that turn into big, sinful messes. Okay. Anger, when it's not understood and handled properly, will cause fights that turn into big, sinful messes. Now, that said, uh, I would like to share a quote from uh, Tim Keller, who gives an alternate, and I think a very astute definition of anger that's going to help us in our discussion today. He says, anger is energy released to defend something you love. God is angry toward evil that dishonors him and ruins that which he loves. The problem with human anger is this. We tend to over-love the wrong things. That's the problem with human anger. We tend to over-love the wrong things. The point he's making is one that we're going to delve into in just a second. He's saying that uh, not only does anger cause problems when it's not handled properly, Anger also uh, causes problems when it's misfiring and when it's cropping up in our hearts at those wrong times and over the wrong things. Okay, so uh, needless to say, anger is somewhat of a complex emotion, and when we would try to wrap our minds around it, on one hand, it would be good, but also how to keep it from going sideways on us and wreaking havoc in our relationships. So, here's my overarching main idea I want us to tease apart in order to better understand anger and identify when anger is actually sinful. Here it is. Uh, anger is an emotion, not a sin, and thus not inherently bad. Anger becomes sinful when it is accompanied by an inappropriate motivation, expression, or duration. Okay? Anger becomes sinful when it's accompanied by an inappropriate motivation, expression, or duration. So let's talk about those three things. Uh, that cause anger to go sour. We're going to start with motivation. This is in your notes as well here. Anger, wrongly motivated, flows from pride or idolatry. Okay? Anger, wrongly motivated, flows from pride or idolatry. And to be clear, when I say anger, wrongly motivated, what I mean is feeling angry about the wrong things. Okay? Um, if you get angry, let's give some examples here. If you get angry because you see someone driving drunk in your neighborhood and you see them run over your mailbox doing damage to your property, uh, I'd say that your anger is warranted. What that person was doing was illegal and incredibly selfish and it has now affected you and it could have affected affected others in a much more serious way, they could have killed someone, right? Uh, that should elicit a strong sense of displeasure and a desire to eradicate their wrongdoing with legal consequences that will hopefully discourage them from doing something like that again. Are you following me? Okay. On the other hand, okay, so that's possible. On the other hand, if you are running late to work, if you're running late to work due to your own laziness or neglig your negligence, and you get angry at the people in front of you on the road for driving the speed limit, <laughs> you're angry for the wrong reason. You're angry for the wrong reason. Okay? Uh, the people in front of you doing nothing wrong are not the people that you should be angry with. The only person you should be angry with is yourself. In that situation, you'd be experiencing sinful anger because it would be wrong motivated. Alright? 
kind of touching your nerves in that, right? Uh, let me give you one more example. If you get angry because someone, let's say someone approaches you and they cuss you out, right? Or they, they say some really unkind things about you or your family for no apparent reason or perhaps for reasons that you can't control, okay? The color of your skin or something about your physical appearance. Anger will be warranted, okay? That falls into the realm of verbal abuse, even uh, hate speech, to use a cultural term, and we should be displeased by that, okay? We should want that eradicated. On the other hand, follow me here, on the other hand, if a friend approaches you humbly and they bring something to your attention that they have seen in you, that you have done or said that was wrong, or maybe they see something in your life that concerns them, maybe the way you spend your money, or maybe the way that you uh, treat your spouse, or maybe how much you have to drink. Um, if you get angry because someone who loves you attempts to help you, then that is sinful anger. It's motivated by the wrong thing, right? If you get angry because someone tries to tell you the truth, then don't shoot the messenger because it's not them that you're angry with. It might actually be God, the author of truth, who you're angry with. Okay? And I would say that if you find yourself with anger that's inappropriate or motivated, if you find yourself getting angry at the wrong things, then that is likely stemming from one of two sources in your life, either pride or idolatry. All right, Proverbs 12, 16 says this. It says, the vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudence ignores an insult. So we've touched on this several times in our series thus far, but pride and foolishness tend to walk in the hand. Right? And the Bible seems to say both of the fool and of the proud that they do not receive correction well because they generally don't believe that they ever do anything that's wrong. Okay? And so if you are someone whose anger tends to flare up very quickly, very noticeably, and over things that you really should not be angry about, then you likely have a problem with pride. Okay? Going back to the hypothetical situation where you're late to work and getting angry with the drivers in front of you who are doing the speed limit, um, you're angry because you're going to be late to work. And that's going to look bad for you. And so you're trying to blame others for something that's actually your own fault. That's pride. Okay? Not a valid reason for anger. Okay? Not a valid reason for anger. Now, um, Psalm 106, 36, speaking about God's people in the Old Testament, says, they served their idols, which became a snare to them. Idolatry is another reason, even today, that anger tends to be wrongly motivated. Let's, let's look back at the other hypothetical situation where, let's say a friend approaches you in love and tries to bring something concerning about your character to your attention, okay? Um, if something like that makes you angry, it might be because you have an idol in your life and the words of your friend are gently exposing how you have been worshiping an idol. All right, for instance, okay, for instance, if someone says, hey, sister, 
I just noticed that you seem to always be spending money on new stuff that you don't really need. Just this month, you've got yourself a new car, a new phone. I never see you wear the same outfit twice. You're always posting about your shopping trips and your home decor or places you buy out to eat, etc., etc. And I'm just concerned. I'm just concerned that maybe your love for material possessions is something simple that you need to repent of. Or if someone says, hey, brother, right? Hey, brother, I can't help but notice when the guys hang out to watch football, most of the guys have a drink or two over the course of the entire game, but they're usually throwing back six to ten. And I'm worried about you. I'm worried about you. I think you might struggle with abusing alcohol, and you should repent and try to get a handle on that. You see, if someone graciously calls out sin in your life, and you get angry, and you act like someone has mistreated you, or done wrong to you, your anger is not rightly motivated. As Christians, when someone loves us enough to be bold, and to, to take a risk and tell us that they see sin in our life, we should be grateful, not angry. Okay? Please hear me. I, I'm not saying that truth doesn't hurt sometimes. Okay, It absolutely does. Okay? Sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes when someone acts like a loving physician, and they use their words to carefully cut the, the cancer of sin out of your, your heart, that's not going to feel good initially. It's going to be painful. But you don't slap your cardiologist. You thank them. You're following In the same way, you should not angrily lose your temper on a friend who tries to help you see your own sin. You should thank God for friends like that. Okay, you should thank God for friends like that. But as Tim Keller said, the problem with human anger is that we usually overly love the wrong things. And if you love, follow me, if you love your money or your stuff, or alcohol, or sex, or family, or really, if you love anything more than you love Jesus, then your anger is going to flare up when someone puts their finger on your heart. Okay. And that is wrongly motivated and thus sinful anger. That's only the first way that anger can become sinful, right? We've got to speed up. We've got a lot of ground to cover here. The second way that we said anger can become sinful is when we express it inappropriately. Okay, so um, anger wrongly expressed looks like malice, strife, slander, and at worst, murder. Okay? Anger wrongly expressed looks like malice, strife, slander, and at worst, murder. Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. 
In Matthew 5, uh, Jesus himself says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool will be liable to the fires of hell. So uh, this is pretty clear, isn't it? Remember what Psalm 4 said. It said, be angry, but do not sin. When we experience anger, even over the right things, something that can tend to happen is we start trying to figure out how to express that anger, right? And then the, the, the worse the offense, usually the worse the temptation to act out in anger and try to get retribution, right? So if someone says something unkind to you or about you in a moment of anger, you might feel tempted to go and talk negatively about that person to others to try to tear their name down in the same way that you feel like they did with yours. That's called slander. That's called slander. If someone rips you off or cheats you in some way, you might feel tempted to go and tell them about themselves in a way that is aggressive and heated, not caring about the repercussions of losing your cool with them. That's called strife. Okay? If, if, someone, if someone sins against you in some way, repeatedly, in a moment of anger, you might decide, pay careful attention to this one. In a moment of anger, you might decide that you're not going to do anything rash, but that you are going to emotionally and relationally cut yourself off from them. And you're also going to harbor ill feelings about them for the rest of your days because they misstepped with you one too many times, and now you're going to hang on to that grudge indefinitely. That's called malice or hatred, bitterness, resentment. And Jesus says that anger when it's expressed in these ways, is the same as murder. It's the same sin as murder. Because when you, when you seek to kill someone's reputation through slander, or to kill your relationship with them through strife or secret resentment in your heart that you'll never let go of, what you're basically saying is, they're dead to me. They're dead to me. Friends, we're going to get to how to handle our anger biblically in just a few minutes, but let me just say, right here, expressing our anger in ways that seek to harm or punish others is not biblical ever. Okay. So uh, we've seen that our anger becomes sinful when it's motivated by the wrong things, when it's expressed in the wrong ways, and finally let's talk about the duration of anger. Anger, wrongly held onto, produces bitterness and resentment. Ephesians 4 says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Hebrews 12 says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. 1 Corinthians 13, you know this one. Love is patient and love is kind. It is not irritable or resentful. So again, the Bible is clear. While anger might be good and right to feel in certain situations, it's not something we should harbor inside of ourselves for very long. Okay? Are you still with me? Yes. Okay. All 
Alright. Uh, when, when anger rises up, it needs to be dealt with in a way that's healthy and in a way that's quick. How quick? The Apostle Paul says, don't let your anger linger on into the next day. So, if you're angry about something, okay, you should be thinking and praying about how to resolve that. Alright? You see, um, dealing with anger is a lot like dealing with fish. Dealing with anger is a lot of dealing with fish. If you catch a fish, you need to get it in the cooler, get it processed, and get it cooked as quickly as possible because uh, it doesn't stay good for very long, right? If you leave it out, what's going to happen? It's going to start to smell. Right? It's going to start to smell. Um, it's the same with anger. If it rises up and it's valid, you need to grab hold of it, okay? get it processed, get it dealt with as soon as you can, or it's going to stink. Right. People who hold on to their anger, you can smell it on them. You can smell it on them. Resentment and bitterness are not easy things to hide. In the same way as if you've got bad fish in your house, people are going to know it. If you're carrying around a grudge or a chip on your shoulder, you might think that you have got it concealed pretty well. But I'm just going to tell you, it's going to start to stink after a while. But here's why it needs to be dealt with so quickly. Listen to what Paul says next. He says, give no opportunity to who? To the devil. Give no opportunity to the devil. You see, anger that is harbored, the longer that it's harbored, the more likely it is to lash out in some simple way against those that were angry with. And this, listen, this is a foothold for the devil. This is a foothold for the devil. This is what our enemy wants. Our enemy wants believers in Christ to get angry with one another and never reconcile. Do you know that? We watch too many scary movies. The enemy is not sending like some like, I don't know, ghost vampire nun to your house to haunt you or something, okay? That's stupid. What the devil wants is for believers in Christ to get angry with one another and never reconcile. Why? Because he wants to steal our joy, kill our unity, and destroy our gospel witness. And if he can get us, if the devil can get us to slander one another, if he can get slander in the household of God and have unresolved strife in the church that we never let go of, grudges against one another, then he has been successful. And he's been successful. If we will make Jesus look weak and make the gospel look ineffective with our sinful anger and friends, we are doing the devil's job. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Anger wrongly held on to produces bitterness and resentment. And the root of bitterness, Hebrews says, will wind up defiling many. Sadly, I have seen this happen. Professing believers get angry with one another and get bitter and then they tear each other down and listen. It hurts their brothers and sisters in Christ. 
You may think some few going on with you, one other Christians only affecting you. It's not. It's hurting the church. It's hurting the church. It defiles me. Your anger will defile me. Your bitterness, your resentment will defile many people. It will hurt people. When people get angry and they choose to grow bitter and resentful in their hearts, they stop giving grace and they stop patiently loving people and then here's what happens. They dry up spiritually. They dry up spiritually. Because you cannot harbor love for Jesus and hatred for your neighbor in the same heart. It's impossible. It's like the world and why. So anger is serious. It's a good emotion when it's felt for the right reasons and when it's expressed in the right ways. But when it's wrongly motivated or wrongly expressed or held on to for too long, it gets icky real quick. Okay? So to the best of our ability, we can learn how to process our anger in a way that's healthy. So on our way to wrapping up, I put uh, this in your notes. Okay, four wrong ways versus four right ways to deal with anger. These are adapted from a Christian theologian named James Fowler. Okay, um, so let's let's run through these. We'll talk about the wrong ways first. I think as a Baptist, I really appreciated the alliteration that you used here. Okay, um, here's the first wrong way to deal with anger: repress it, repress. Hold it in, ignore, deny, sweep it under the rug. Okay? Um, Ecclesiastes 7 9 says, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. We've already touched on this. I thought it was helpful to back it up scripturally. Um, we have to be careful with giving ourselves over to anger because anger has a way of getting lodged deep down in the dark recesses of our hearts. And when that happens, it's a temptation to not deal with it and sweep it under the rug. We've already talked about why that's bad. Let's move on. Number two, express. Express. That is, blow up. Seek vengeance or sinfully vent. Proverbs 29, 11 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Now, we've already discussed that blowing up is bad. If you don't know that, I don't know. It's your conscience. I don't know. Blowing up is bad. Okay, don't do that. Um, and God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So um, that's not an option, uh, that's not an option for us, right? I think we know that. But another reality is, when we are angry with someone, there's a real temptation to just start, follow me here, when we're angry with someone, there's a real temptation to start running at the mouth. <laughs> running at the mouth about it to someone else. And Proverbs says, that's unwise. That's unwise. I'm not saying, right, I'm not saying that you can't carefully process your anger with another trusted believer. But venting usually doesn't help unless you're being redirected to what you should actually do about your anger biblically. Okay? Um, usually, venting is just a euphemism. Okay? <laughs> when you say, I just need to vent, what you're saying is, I just need to gossip. That's a sin, all right? Okay, uh, here's the third wrong way to handle your anger. Digress. Digress. Run away from or try to forget about it. Proverbs 19, 19 says, A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you're only going to have to do it again. 
right? So on this one, <laughs> here's what Crawford's is saying. Um, it's kind of like that expression they use in a lot of addiction recovery groups. It kind of goes like this. Wherever you are, there you are. <laughs> Wherever you are, there you are. If you are someone, um, if you're someone who tends to experience a pattern of sinful anger and you don't deal with it, but instead you try to run from it or just forget about it, it's going to follow you. <laughs> it's going to follow you. And it's going to wind up resurfacing again the next time your pride is pricked or someone puts their finger on your eyeball. Okay, and really, this is the same thing. This is true about every sin. Okay, if you try to pretend like your sin is not a problem, it's just going to get worse. Eventually, your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. Better to confront it, repent of it. And stop working to process it helpfully. Okay? So, don't regress, don't simply express, don't digress, and finally, when it comes to simple anger, don't profess to be powerless. Don't profess to be powerless. Or just say it straight up. Don't make excuses or blame others. Okay? Proverbs 28.13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Galatians 6, 1 and 5 says, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. In other words, if you realize that you have a problem with anger, don't blame shift and try to make it about how other people are always making you angry. Other people are making you angry. I love what Tony Evans has to say about that. He says, if someone spits on you, they don't make you angry. They make you wet. <laughs> if somebody spits on you, they don't make you angry. They make you wet. His point is the same as what Jesus says in Matthew 15. Our sinful responses come out of us. Our sinful responses come out of us. No one can make us sin. No one can make you lose your temper. No one can make you bitter. No one can make you hold on to a grudge. These are all things that you choose to do yourself. How you handle anger is up to you. Now, I'm not saying you might not need help. Okay, You might need help. You might need other trusted believers in your life who are going to hold you accountable and ask you hard questions about how you're doing. Okay? And you definitely are going to need God's help and the indwelling Holy Spirit to produce the good fruit that you want and not the bad, angry fruit that you're currently producing. But at the end of the day, with the help of others and the help of the Lord, how you handle your anger is up to you. You're not powerless. You're not powerless. God's grace is all the power that you need. Okay, so what things um, should you be doing instead to handle your anger rightly? Well, here you go. Four right ways to handle your anger. I'm going to spray this off hand here. Number one, suppress. Okay, that is, don't, don't, uh, what was the first one we said? I can't even remember that one. But don't, that, restrain your anger 
and subdue your negative emotions. Don't sweep under the rug, okay? Restrain. Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Okay? Just before the first murder of human history was committed, when Cain was seething with anger at his brother Abel for nothing other than showing himself to be a genuine worshiper of God, God comes to Cain, and what does he say? If you've been following your plan, you just read it, right? What's he say? God says to Cain, Cain, why are you so angry, buddy? Why are you so angry? If you just do the right thing, won't this whole situation just be resolved? And then God says to him, Cain, sin is crouching at the door, and you must rule over it. Friends, to those of us who have been born again, the indwelling Holy Spirit gives us the ability to not sin, to rule over our sin, to decide not to act on it, and to handle our emotions in ways that are healthy. So that's the first step, okay? When, when anger rises up, suppress it. Get a hold of it. 2 Corinthians 10 tells us to take every thought captive to Christ. Right? Anger doesn't start as a simple outburst, it starts as a thought. And when that thought comes, let me tell you what to do. When that angry thought comes into your mind, here's what you do. You grab it by the collar, and you say, get over here, knucklehead. <laughs> get over here, knucklehead. You're not going to wander around in my heart and in my mind unexamined. Everything in here obeys Christ, or it gets out. Yeah. Everything in here obeys Christ, or it gets kicked out. And then, once you have it suppressed, then you assess. You assess. Evaluate the situation objectively. First, ask yourself, why am I angry? Am I angry because there's been a legitimate wrong done? Or am I angry because my pride has been hurt? Am I angry because I've been mistreated? Or am I angry because... Someone told me something true that I didn't want to hear. Why am I angry? Then if you determine, if you determine that your anger is invalid and wrongly motivated, here's what you do. You repent and you get over it. You repent and get over it. Okay? But if your anger is valid and someone has legitimately wronged or hurt you, um, you go straight to their house and you knock their block off. No. 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 You consider. You consider. Did this person intend to hurt me, or was this a misunderstanding of some kind? Right? Um, what's, what's going on in their life? Are they stressed? Are they going through a tough season? Try to understand. Then consider yourself. Did you do anything that legitimately contributed to how you were treated? Now listen, this can be a challenging thing to do. It's hard for us to believe that sometimes two things are true at once. Sometimes someone might have come at you. Someone might have come at you and angered you. But you might have provoked it somehow. Okay? You might have provoked it somehow. So uh, we have to be willing to think through these things rather than just fly straight to, 
I'm hurt, and so they're wrong. Right? What does Jesus say? Matthew 7. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. <clears throat> so, assess. And then after you've assessed, objectively, you need to confess. Confess. That means say the same thing as God. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If you have had a part in the situation that led to your being angry, before you say anything to someone else, you need to get right with the Lord. Before you say anything to somebody else, you need to get right with the Lord. Admit where you were wrong. Before you, before you move to approach someone else about their wrong, and I'm just going to tell you, from my experience in life and pastoral ministry, okay, very rarely in a situation where someone has been wrong, is the wrong 100% on one side. That's rare. It's rare. Okay, I'm not saying that doesn't ever happen, or you would just mind your own business. When someone comes along and relationally wins out of nowhere. Okay? It happens. I'm just saying it's very seldom. It's not usually the case. Most stories I have found out have two sides and two sinners, at least. Okay. Not to mention, if you have been legitimately wronged, and so your anger is the right response, but you start letting your anger go sideways and get sinful, you start stewing on it, venting and stirring up your own bitterness, you need to repent of that before you talk to the other person. Okay. But, assuming that you have helpfully suppressed your anger, assessed your anger, and confessed your anger, then you're in the right place to process your anger. And you do that by proceeding to make it right. Okay, proceed to make it right. Ephesians 4 says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Colossians 3 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. Friends, let me just say this as clearly as I can. I know we've been here a long time, all right? But as Christians, the only healthy way for us to process our anger is to bring it humbly to the one who angered us and determine to forgive them. Determine to forgive them. You might need to talk it out. If you need to talk through it, talk through it. Maybe they don't even know what they did to upset you. Even though you were the one who was hurt, Spend the time with them to help them understand. But once you have done that, you give it to the Lord. Once you've done that, you give it to the Lord. If you're thinking, maybe you are, because I can think like this, okay? Maybe you're thinking, 
Okay. But what if they don't apologize? What if they don't apologize? What if they don't make it right? Here's what you do. You ready? You still forgive. You still forgive. Church, our forgiveness is not contingent on other people's repentance. Our forgiveness is not contingent on other people's repentance. What are you going to do? Stay angry and hang over their head until you deem that their response has been appropriate? No. So far as it depends on you, friend, that's what the scripture says. So far as it depends on you, you be at peace with all people. Your job is to forgive. The repentance part is between you and the Lord. Okay? This can be hard. I know that. But why do you think the Apostle Paul tells us to bear with one another in love? Have you thought about that? Why do you say bear with one another? Do you know what synonyms for the phrase bear with are? Let me just tell you a few. Tolerate. Put up with. Get this one through it. Suffer. Suffer. Suffer with one another in love. Put up with one another in love. Tolerate one another in love. Guys, in our culture, we are so quick to give up on people who wrong us and anger us. But look what happened. If we are Jesus' disciples, we will not give up on people. We will not give up on people. Jesus does not give us that right. Okay? We will bear with him because we have been so humbled by the God who has mercifully long suffered with us. Here's your last point. Ultimately, the antidote to sinful anger is the cross, where God's righteous anger toward our sin was poured out on Jesus. Guys, God had every right to obliterate us in his anger over our sin that disregarded and dishonored his glory. Okay. But instead, he sent his own son to bear the brunt of his wrath on the cross. Okay? I, I want you to think about one more thing before we close here. I want you to think about this critically. If you go to sleep, wake up. Think about this, okay? Um, if you are a Christian, if you're a Christian, do you understand what you are saved from? If you're a Christian, do you understand what you are saved from? I think the most common response, and the response my kids would give me to that question, is that Jesus saves us from our sin. Right? Um, that's not wrong. Jesus saved us from our sin. That's also not complete. That's not a complete statement of what we're saved from. Jesus does save us from our sin. 
But if you want to say with more specificity okay, what Jesus saves us from, Jesus saves us from the angry wrath of God that we deserved to have poured out on us because of our sin. Let me simplify that. In Jesus, God saves us from himself. In Jesus, God saves us from himself. If you really understand that gospel, it will subdue your anger. It will subdue your anger. Knowing that you have been pardoned from such a fierce and just wrath. Knowing that Jesus went to the cross to save you from spending an eternity in the torment of hell. If you get that, you're probably going to lay down your pride and your idolatry. If you get that, you'll probably stop losing your temper so easily. If you get that, you'll probably let go of all your bitterness and your resentment. Because the cross was the way that God saved you from his own anger. And God's anger, you hear, God's anger was not sinful. God's anger was not sinful. It was just. And it wasn't Jesus who deserved to be on that cross. It was us. It was us. Psalm 145.8 says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Isaiah 53, prophesying of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah says, Surely, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. It goes on to say, it was the will of God to crush Jesus. It was the will, you can read this, if you want to read this for yourself, Isaiah 53, it was the will of God to crush Jesus because in his death, he bore our iniquities and he allowed us to be counted as righteous. My point is this, friends. The cross is where anger goes to God. The cross is where anger goes to God. It's where God's righteous anger for us died. And if we will bring our own sinful anger to the cross. That's where it can die to. That's right. Um, this is, these are hard truths. 
Holy Spirit, I'm praying that you were clear because I don't know that I was. Would you help me, Father? I'm a sinful man. I'm a man prone to anger. I pray that there are other men and women in this room who are prone to anger like me. Father, they would drag their anger before your cross. They might let their anger die. Their pride, their idolatry, their strife, their resentment, their bitterness would die with it. Father, we are not called to be angry people. We are called to be people filled with joy. Filled with love for others because you first love us. God, help us. Be merciful. Help us to understand this and apply this. In Jesus' name,